Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out. Open them up to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to read some uh, rather well-known verses there in just a moment. And these verses will help to set the stage for our study this evening. I'm going to read the words of Moses and use that as a launching pad for all the things that we want to talk about tonight from the Word of God. It is great to see everybody this evening. So glad that you are here. Really just, uh, I would have been glad if we would have just called an audible and decided tonight was going to be singing night. The gentlemen, gentlemen were singing well, but I tell you, man, the ladies were turning up tonight singing those songs, and I just was encouraged by uh, getting to sing those songs uh, with you. And I uh, hope you're ready right now, though, to focus your minds for just a few minutes on the things that God has left for us in the pages of His Word. In Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, I'm reading here beginning in verse 4. In Deuteronomy 6 and in verse 4, there Moses says to the children of Israel... He says there, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7 now, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That is arguably one of the most important parenting passages in all of the Word of God. I cite this passage quite often, but it is important for us to understand not only what this passage is saying, but what this passage is not saying. Moses is not offering here a proof text for the sit down and lecture your children style of parenting that we might think that it is suggesting. Moses is not talking here about sit your kids down and have some sort of a stilted and formal Bible class with them. Let's sit down and have the God talk junior. That's not what Moses is describing here. Look carefully again at verse 7. Moses says there that we are to weave God's Word into our everyday lives. He says that you're going to talk about God and about His things and about His will when you sit down, when you're walking, when you lie down, when you rise up. Moses is talking here about parents who will regularly and consistently, in fact spontaneously, reinforce spiritual truths with their children in just their everyday conversations. That the law of God would not be solely dispensed when you went down to the tabernacle. That the only time that we talk about spiritual realities, well, that's only going to be on the Sabbath day. No, no, that's not what Moses says here. What Moses says is that God wants moms and dads, not not just in Old Testament times, but I believe even moms and dads today, to talk about the Lord and to talk about the Lord's ways throughout the ordinary comings and goings of day to day life. That that is a vital part of Christian parenting. And i got to say that that may be never more true than what I want to talk about this evening for a few moments. And that is when it comes to helping our kids in their understanding of the local church and the local church relationship. You know, the local church is so important in God's plans, in God's entire plan to save us and to bring us ultimately to heaven. As we work with, as we labor alongside, as we encourage and as we assist one another in that journey to our heavenly home. I think the Bible would teach us that we need the local church. And what we want as parents is we want someday for our children to seek out and to identify with, and to be a working part of a local church 
that belongs to Jesus Christ. But I believe in order for that to happen, we need to be talking about the church now. We need to be speaking about the church with our kids. We need to be emphasizing some things with our kids, making that a regular part of our daily conversations. But the question is, what do we say? What do we need to be saying about the local church? What specifically do we need to be emphasizing on young and precious hearts? Well, This evening I want to give you just three ideas that I think are foundational to our understanding of the local church. Three things that we want to be conveying to our kids, or maybe for you that's your grandkids, or your nieces, or your nephews, or maybe you're just thinking about the kids in this congregation, or other children that you might have influence on. And I want to remind us with the passage we started with in Deuteronomy 6, that we're not going to sit our kids down and necessarily have some kind of a lecture about the church. Please don't go home this evening and take the three points from this sermon and say, all right now, Johnny, we're going to have a lecture about what Mr. Josh just preached. That's not what we're talking about here. This is the kind of thing that we want to be looking for opportunities just in our casual conversations, maybe as we are driving down the road, or maybe as we are just sitting around the dinner table, or maybe as we are sitting in the living room and we're flipping through the television channels in a thousand different places and in a thousand different ways, we want to weave talk of the local church into everyday life so that someday our children will weave the local church into their everyday life. And so let's talk about three things that I hope will help all of us as we think in that direction tonight. First and foremost, we want our kids to understand that the local church is yours and that that means that it'll only be good as you make it. Now, I want to explain what I mean by that when I talk about the local church being yours. Because if you're like me, you probably grew up and you've probably been taught all of your life that you need to be very careful with your terminology and you need to be careful with how you refer to the church. You maybe have had the experience when you were a kiddo. Maybe you were driving with your family down the road and you happened to pass by the church building. And you maybe happened to say, hey, that's our church. Or maybe as a kid, maybe your friend, you're talking with your friend about church and maybe you even invite them, hey, would you want to come to my church sometime? And pretty quickly, if you got good moms and dads, they're going to be quick to jump in there and say, hey, 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 hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not our church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. It's the Lord's church. It belongs to Him, not to you. And that is absolutely true. In fact, let's just grab something. Look in Acts chapter 20. Let's just make sure we do understand that. In Acts the 20th chapter, as Paul's having this final conversation with the Ephesian elders, he says to them in Acts chapter 20 and in verse 28, he tells them to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. It is the Lord's church. He is the one who bought it. He paid for it with His own blood. He owns it. And that is absolutely so. But can I encourage you to notice another verse with me? If you're still here in Acts, just turn a few pages to Romans. Look in Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, listen to what Paul says in verse 16. See if maybe this just kind of jumps out at you. I don't know if you noticed this when I preached from Romans a couple of months ago, but I want you to notice now in Romans 2 and in verse 16, Paul says there, he says, On that day... When according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. What? Hold on. Paul, my gospel? Paul, are you saying that the gospel is yours? 
Are you trying to take that away from the Lord? Do you think the gospel just belongs to you, Paul? No. No, that's not what Paul means by that statement. When Paul says, my gospel, what he simply means is he means, I'm all in with the gospel. I'm totally invested in it. I believe in it. It's a part of me. It's a part of who I am and what I'm all about. And I think that's just one example of the kind of accommodative language that that I think a lot of us are actually fairly accustomed to even today. We use this kind of talk all the time. If we drive down the road and we pass the bank, we maybe say, hey, there's my bank. Or maybe if your kids talk about their school. When they are coming, passing by the school building, they may even say, Hattie says this, hey, that's, that's my school. That's my school. Well, listen here, little ma'am. Are you saying that you own the school? That you bought that school? That it's your property? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what she means by that. What she means by that is she simply means, I have a place there. I belong there. I'm involved in that. I go there. I'm a part of that, and it's a part of me. Can I ask you this evening... Is that not exactly what we want our kids to understand and to feel toward the local church? That I'm a part of this. I belong here. I am invested in this. I think in a very real sense, we can almost say, it is mine. That I feel a sense of ownership in this congregation. I think that's the kind of thing Paul's going for in 1 Corinthians 12. Would you look at the terminology, the kind of the the metaphor Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12? In 1 Corinthians 12, look in verse 27. Notice the interconnectivity of Paul's passage here. In 1 Corinthians 12, look in verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ, but you are also individually members of it. Yes, it is true, number one, that the church does belong to Christ. The church is the body of Christ. He's the head of it. That means that he owns the church. But it also means, if I could just kind of keep borrowing this this body metaphor, this means that if I have a migraine headache, the whole rest of my body reacts to that. The whole rest of my body has concern about what's going on in my head. My feet, they rush and they go to the medicine cabinet to see if I can get some Tylenol. My hands maybe kind of rub my temples to see if I can soothe the pain about that. My mouth maybe even says the words, My head hurts. And why is that? Well, it's because as it pertains to my body, all the parts, we're in this together. It's my body, each part says. We're all partners in this. And so it is within the body of Christ. Yes, the church belongs to Jesus for, I don't know, the fifth or sixth time I've said that now. But I have a stake in the church as well. I am a part of that body. And we want our kids to develop that same sense of investment in the local church. Because one day what our hope is, is that they will reach an age of maturity, an age of accountability, and they will then be ready to take their place where? In the body of Christ. In fact, if you're still here in 1 Corinthians 12, just back up in the text. Look in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Well, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, Well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Well, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, well, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
As it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so we want our kids to grow to a place that they understand that, number one, I am part of that body, and number two, as Paul talks about in those verses, that I am a needed part in that body. I'm a member of the body and I have an essential and important role to play within that body. And that, of course, that of course is almost the total opposite view that most people in the world today have toward church. How do most folks feel about church or the idea of being a part of the church? Why, for most folks, church is designed to deliver something for me. That's what the church is about. It's there to offer services for me. I'm there to take and to receive some things. I'm here to get some stuff. There's not a whole lot of thought about putting anything in. But that doesn't fit with what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. Church is not a relationship where we just come and get. The local church is a relationship where we give, where we participate. Why? Because we are a part of that. And our kids need to see that. They need to see that, first of all, in our example. They need to see that we are involved. They need to see that we actually have some skin in the game. They need to see us serving. They need to see us interacting. They need to see us assisting and praying and helping in the local church. They need to see that this is a significant part of our lives, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but all of the time. And furthermore, not only does that need to be shown in our example... First of all, we need to talk about that. We need to say some stuff about that. I'm thinking, for example, maybe the easiest place to put this into practice is on the car ride home when we're leaving services where maybe we just seize the opportunities to ask our kids, hey, what'd you learn in Bible class today? Or hey, what did you maybe observe and notice that happened in the worship service that stood out to you? Hey, was there maybe a favorite song that we sung today? And why is that your favorite song? Or, hey, what do you remember from Mr. Josh's sermon today? Did you remember any of it? Or, hey, who was maybe announced in the announcements that we can be praying for and we can be uh, thinking about? Or, hey, what were maybe some needs that we identified, whether in the announcements or maybe in our talking with others after church, some needs that we can help to meet in places where we can serve? This is so crucial for our kids to get involved and ingrained in their minds because it puts the responsibility for their relationship with the local church squarely where it belongs and that's on them. It needs to be placed on their shoulders that I understand I will have to be a working, functioning, contributing part of the body of Christ. Not some nebulous they. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about they? Everybody seems to always talk about they, whoever they is. They need to do something about that. I wish they would take care of that. When are they going to get around to that? No, that's not who the local church is all about. I'm thinking about my responsibility. What do I need to do? I need to take my place in it and I need to do my part. I'm in the body of Christ and I need to help make that body as good as it possibly can be. There's really one of two things that we can teach our kids. We can either teach our kids to sit on the sidelines and gripe and snipe and complain and just let the church just flounder and be lousy. 
Or on the other hand, we can show our kids what it means to get off the bench and to show up and to get involved and to make the church something great. But that means we'll have to be proactive. We'll have to be intentional about that so that our kids can see the supreme value of being a part of the body of Christ. Which would lead me to kind of what might seem like kind of on the other end of the spectrum to say something about the church as well that kids need to understand. And that is, secondly, our kids need to understand that the local church, it is not perfect. It's just not. I'm looking for the tiny little book of 3 John. Would you be working toward the end of your New Testament? Look in 3 John. There's only one chapter there. But it is there where we are made painfully aware of the imperfect nature of the local church. In 3 John, I'm reading here in verse 9. In 3 John and in verse 9, everybody's there except me. I can't find it. There we go. In 3 John 9, John writes, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers And he also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Now, I hope that this second point does not seem like a a contradiction of what we just talked about in point number one. But it is true that even after we have done all that we can do to make the church great and to make the church wonderful, there may still be troubles in the local church because of brethren like Diotrephes. And that is a painful thing to have to admit. That not every Christian wants to do what is right, or at least not every Christian wants to do what's right at a high level. Not everybody is seeking to make the church great and wonderful. And that means that that the church on this side of eternity will always be less than perfect. And this is true, not just here, this is true in every congregation. There is no such thing as a perfect church. I've told it before, but I was told by an older brother many years ago that if you ever think that you find the perfect church, don't place membership there because you'll mess it all up. And he's right. I would mess it all up even if nobody else did. You're always going to have folks wherever you go who are going to be very dedicated, very devoted within the local body, folks who are serving, folks who are trying to take a part. But you know what? Sadly, you're also going to have within the church folks who are, folks who are sore tails, Folks who are crotchety and grumpy. Going to have folks who are gossips. Going to have folks who are mean and ugly. Going to have folks who are weak and who just regularly fall back into sin. What's the local church made up of? It's made up of people. And anywhere that you find people, there's going to be sin. And there's going to be sinners. And sin always is going to create problems. And it's going to create tension. And it's going to create distress. It might even create division. But if you stop and think about it, in the New Testament, in all those letters and all those epistles that were sent to local congregations, those were actually written to congregations that in one form or another were having some problems. They were having problems because of their imperfections. Think about it. Paul writes that letter to the church at Rome. Why? Because because the Jewish brethren and the Gentile brethren, they weren't getting along. 
Paul writes that letter to the church at Rome, or excuse me, to the church at Corinth, because they were abusing spiritual gifts, and they were making a party out of the Lord's Supper, and they were fussing and bickering, and all kinds of problems going on there. Paul even wrote to that church at Philippi that he loved and cared for deeply, and still had to say to them, Euodia, Syntyche, cut it out, straighten up. In fact, we even read a moment ago Paul's words in Acts 20. Would you turn back there? In Acts 20, when Paul talked to those Ephesian elders, he said in verse 28 about how the church is, it's purchased with Christ's own blood. But then look at what he says in the very next two verses. In Acts 20 and in verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men who speak twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. What's Paul saying there? Paul says, mark it down. Troubles and problems will come to the local church. Now, right about now, what somebody's probably thinking is, is Josh, why do we want to tell our kids that? I mean, isn't that the kind of thing that we want to try to kind of protect our kids from being exposed to? And, and listen, I do understand that there are some things, some realities that we want to try, at least to some degree, to, to shield young and innocent hearts from because we don't want them to be easily discouraged and we don't want them to develop a very sour attitude and a very sour uh, depiction in their minds of the church. But I will say this. If we're not honest with our kids about some of those harsh realities of being in the local church, then what will happen is one day they're going to grow up and they're going to get out on their own and they're going to go and find and start worshiping with a local church and they're going to be disappointed. And they might even become very, very disillusioned when they're presented with the reality of how things are. And so that's why, for example, when your child comes to you and your child says something like, Hey, why is the crowd usually smaller on Sunday night than it is on Sunday morning? We don't want to run and hide from that question. We want to actually just tell them, yeah, I've noticed that too. And there's probably lots of reasons for that. Sometimes that's because we have some elderly folks and they just don't get out and drive during the evenings. Sometimes folks, because of the shifts that they work, they end up having to work an evening shift, whereas they're able to be there in the morning. Sometimes that's because we have lots of visitors visiting, passing through on a Sunday morning. and They're not members here and we really can't expect them to come back. But some of that also is because not every member of the congregation is as devoted to the assemblies of God's people. There are some folks who have some growing up that they need to do. And we have members in the church who who need to make better choices about that. That's a conversation we need to be ready to have with our kids to help them to understand some things. It's a hard reality, I understand about that, but it's the kinds of things that they need to begin to grasp early on. Now, I want to be clear as we're doing that. When we talk about some of the blemishes and the imperfections in the local church, we want to be careful that we don't get into some kind of a we're so much holier than everybody else. We're so much more righteous than all these other folks who just can't seem to get it together in their Christianity. We're not going to do that. We're not going to speak ill of our brothers and sisters, especially toward our children. But we do want to be candid. And we do want to be honest. Because a day will come when they will be members themselves in a local church. And they themselves will be rubbing shoulders with other Christians in a local church. And they're going to be rubbing shoulders with Christians who sometimes are less than what God wants them to be. Maybe they're rubbing shoulders with brethren who are stubborn. 
Maybe they're rubbing shoulders with brethren who are immature. Maybe they're rubbing shoulders with sisters who are catty or who are insensitive or who are rude. But our kids need to be prepared for that. And can I tell you why they need to be prepared for that? They need to be prepared for that because our kids need to understand that regardless of what might be imperfect about a local congregation, that must never, ever, capital N, capital E, never, ever drive them away from the Lord and the Lord's church. Our commitment is to Christ Jesus. And so if Jesus expects of us to be a member of His body, to be a part of a local congregation, then we're going to do that because we're committed to Jesus. And we're going to do that no matter what other Christians might be doing or might not be doing. We're going to do that regardless of how other Christians might be acting. It doesn't matter if brother so-and-so is a sarcastic jerk. It doesn't matter if sister so-and-so is a two-faced backstabber. Our commitment is to Jesus. And we're devoted to being a servant in His body. Look with me in Philippians 3. I want you to think about this passage maybe in a little bit different way. In Philippians chapter 3, I'm reading here in verse 13. As Paul's doing kind of some reflecting on his own life and where he, how he's gotten to where he's at. In Philippians 3, he says in verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I used to read that passage, and in my mind I used to think that really what Paul's talking about is he talks about leaving some things behind and pushing forward to what lies ahead. I used to think that he was talking about all kinds of bad things that happened to him as a result of outside forces. You know, here was bad things that happened to him because of unbelieving Jews. Or here's some bad things that happened to him because of the Roman government. Or maybe here's some bad things that happened to him because of like just forces of nature. But you know what? I, I got to thinking about that, that the more closely you examine Paul's life, a lot of the bad things that happened to him happened to him at the hands of his own brethren. There were brethren at Corinth who did not accept his apostleship. There were brethren in Galatia who said, oh, he's no good, he's not all that great, we shouldn't be listening to him. On and on the list goes, Paul endured all kinds of harsh and difficult things from his own brethren. And you know what Paul says here in Philippians 3? Paul says, I'm still pressing on. I'm still serving Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that was fun. I'm not saying that I enjoyed having to endure that from imperfect brethren. But I've decided that I'm devoted to the Lord and I'm going to keep straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm going to keep on serving Jesus. And so sometimes we want to teach our kids that when we deal with those imperfections in the body of Christ, sometimes what that means is that means we're going to have to do some praying. In fact, we may need to do a lot of praying. Sometimes that may mean that we need to go and confront a brother or a sister about something that's happening. Maybe that means we're going to have to exercise some real patience and just bite our tongues for a really long time. But at the end of the day, we are determined that we will never give up on our responsibility to Christ Jesus and His church. And I think that when kids learn, when they learn early on to expect those imperfections, then we can then teach them. We can teach them how to serve the Lord with their brethren when things are great. That's point number one. 
And you know what? We can even teach them how to keep serving the Lord in spite of their brethren. Point number two. Which brings me then finally to point number three. And that is we want to make sure that our children understand, probably most importantly of all, that they need to understand how imperative it is to remain faithful to the New Testament pattern for the Lord's church. Now, when I talk here about the word faithful, uh, maybe a, a modern synonym or phrase that we might use might be the idea of brand loyalty. Maybe you've seen somebody wearing a cap or a t-shirt before that says something like, I'd rather push a Ford than drive a Chevy. Or, you know, interchange some other, you know, company or brand in there. And, and what are they saying? What's the message with that kind of thing? Well, the message is, I am fiercely loyal to Ford. Or I'm fiercely loyal to what, you know, Mountain Dew would be my product. Or whatever it is that we're really loyal to that brand. And you need to know that there was a time here in America when people actually felt that way about their religious choices and had religious convictions. Episcopalians, they knew what it is that they believed. And they knew what it is that made them different from, from the Methodists. Baptists, they knew specifically what they believed and they knew how they were distinct and different from, from say, the Catholics. People knew precisely what they believed. They knew what it was that they practiced. They knew what they were all about religiously once upon a time. Fast forward now to the year 2021. I'm not so convinced that you see that kind of brand loyalty, if I can keep using that expression. I'm not so convinced that you see that a whole lot today in the religious world. Today people choose to go to church where they go because, well, because it's the closest place to go to church. I mean, there's a church just kind of right over here, just maybe around the corner from where I live. So, well, that's where I'm going to go to church. I'm just going to go there because it's convenient for me. Or maybe I'm going to go to this church because they have really nice facilities and really nice offerings for my kids. Or I'm going to go to this particular church because I mean, that's where all my friends go. That's where all my buddies go and I just want to go and be with them. Or maybe I choose a particular church because they've got a softball team and I want to get to be on the softball team and play all of that. And these people are parts of these congregations and they may not even know or they may not even necessarily subscribe to the teachings and the practices and the beliefs that that church holds to. They're not loyal to that particular church. They just go because that's just where they want to go right now. In fact, many churches today, have you noticed this? Many churches today don't even so much even advertise their brand anymore. You, know, you just pick out any kind of, it seems like you pick out any random religious sounding term and then just kind of plug that in and use that as the name for the church. Grace Community Church. Harvest Bible Church. Truth is, most of those congregations are actually Southern Baptists, or at least a lot of them are. But they're not telling people what they are. They're kind of keeping that on the down low. want to kind of keep it just kind of generic and open. And why? Because I think modern Christianity, if I can use that term accommodatively, most folks understand that people just really aren't loyal to any particular brand anymore. Now, let me, let me try to bring this home for this, this point for us tonight. And, and I want you to listen very carefully because I, I don't want anybody to get carried away with my analogy to, to brand loyalty. What we want for our kids is that they will be fiercely loyal to Jesus and to the New Testament that Jesus has left and to the quote-unquote brand of Christianity that you can read about in the New Testament. That's what we want. 
We do not want our kids to develop some kind of a mindless, oh, I just need to find a church somewhere that has the right name on the sign. As long as it says Church of Christ, well, hey, I'm good to go. No. No, this is about worshiping with. It is about laboring with. It is about being identified with a church that does New Testament Christianity. That means a church that is proclaiming the Word of God. That means a church that is worshiping according to the Word of God. That means a church that is organized according to the Word of God. That means a church that carries out its work according to the Word of God. That is what we want to be loyal to. That's what we want to be faithful to. In fact, can I grab Matthew 16 here? In Matthew 16, I know that my dad preached last Sunday night on this uh, idea, so I'm going to try not to be redundant. Uh, he was probably very specific, and so I'll just I'll kind of talk more generally. In Matthew 16, Jesus makes a very emphatic statement here. As he's heard the good confession come from Peter's mouth, he then says in Matthew 16 and in verse 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's it. That's what we want to be faithful to. That's what we want to be loyal to, the church that Jesus built. In fact, the fact that Jesus has to say, this is my church, probably is almost an early indication that he understands that there's going to be others, imposters that are going to come along, and they're going to claim to have their own church. We don't want to be a part of that. We don't want to be part of some kind of a man-made institution. I'm not interested in being a part of some kind of a denomination created from the mind of a man. I want to look for this right here, Matthew 16, 18. I'm looking for Jesus' church. You know, contrary to popular belief, one church is not as good as another. Because not every church is the same as Jesus' church. And I want to be very careful here once again. Let's be careful that we not think that somehow this is about us in the church of Christ, and we kind of feed into that misconception that people have that we think we're the only ones going to heaven. And so what that means is that means, hey, if you want to go to heaven, you need to attach your trailer to our hitch over here in the church of Christ, and that's what's going to get you on to heaven. Listen, it's not about us. Ain't nothing about this about us. It's not about getting your name in the right church directory. This is about being loyal to Jesus and to His Word, and to His church. And that means then that our kids need to understand that it's not enough that when you get old enough to make some decisions on your own, it's not enough for you to just go somewhere. It's not enough for you to go to a church that worships some way and somehow. It's not enough for you to be a part of a church that practices and teaches something. I know of a young man right now who he's just a few years removed from being out of his mom and dad's home. And he has rationalized to his parents that, hey, at least I'm going somewhere. At least they're doing something that's sort of kind of biblical in some way. That's not what we want for our kids. This is about being loyal to the Lord, finding a church that's trying to follow the pattern that we read about and laid forth in the pages of the New Testament. In fact, can I grab one final verse? Look at Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5... Here's kind of a sobering, a very sobering thought within this context. In Ephesians 5, I'm reading here in verse 11. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 11, Paul says, Take no part, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Paul talks here about the danger of taking part. Maybe another word we would use there would be the idea of 
partnering. Partnering with something that is not in the light. That's the contrast here between darkness and light. And certainly in the context of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking about sinful and immoral and ungodly behavior. But I would suggest to you that we could also be talking as well about partnering with a church that does not teach and practice the truth. What about partnering with a church that does not teach what the Bible says about salvation? And instead of that church teaching what the Bible says about responding in faith and repentance and being baptized into Christ, instead that church teaches that you can be saved by just saying a prayer or by making an altar call. We okay with that? Do we want to partner with a church maybe that has women in roles that God has not designed for women to be in? Maybe women serving as elders or a woman serving as a preacher. What about partnering with a church that has corrupted their worship with all kinds of modern gadgetry and spectacles and instrumental music and things along those lines? We, we okay with that? We gonna say that that's all right? Where's any of that ultimately? This is the question. Where's any of that in the New Testament? Where are we going to find that in our New Testaments? Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 11, take no part in those kinds of things that would constitute darkness. I would suggest to you that religious error would fall into that category. Things that are outside of the authority and the will of God. And so when we're talking with our kids, we want to impress upon them that the key criteria, and I want to emphasize that, the key criteria for selecting a church is its faithfulness to the New Testament pattern. That's how you choose a church. You don't choose a church based on drive time. You don't choose a church based on your level of enjoyment there. You don't choose a church based even upon the friendliness of the congregation. I understand that those things maybe have some relevance and have some bearing on those decisions, but they are not as important as this right here. They are not as important as a church that is closely following the Word of God. And that means that we want to teach our kids to judge churches by the very same measure by which God judges churches. And that is by this, by the standard. That's what God says things are going to be judged by. And we can do that. I think we can do that in a number of ways. We can do that, for example, when our kid comes home from school. And they tell us that one of their friends who goes to a denominational church has invited them to come and to go to their church for their Christmas play, Christmas pageant. Use that as an opportunity to talk about. Well, does, was, does that fit in to the pattern of what the church is to be involved in? Maybe when we're driving down the road and we pass a big kind of multiplex kind of church building that's got a playground out front and a ball field in the back and a big recreational facility attached to the side of it. And our kid says, ooh, what's that over there? Remember when Hattie was a little girl, she would have been probably about two. And we passed this big gigantic church building that had all kinds of stuff on the outside and the way that the building was structured was, I mean, it was very ornate and fancy. And Hattie said, ooh, a castle. Well, that's kind of almost what it looked like. It didn't really look like an assembly place for folks who are there to worship God. But that was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to talk a little bit about some of the distinctive features of the Lord's church. There are opportunities if we'll look for them. There are opportunities to talk about God's plans and God's expectations for His church. 
And we can reinforce those ideas to our children regularly that it does matter what a, church, what a church teaches, what a church does, what a church practices, because there is no substitute, none, for faithfulness to what the New Testament shows us. Now I think that there probably are lots of other things that you could put on this list... You can maybe talk to your kids about the difference between the universal church and the local church. That's an important discussion at some point. Maybe talking to your kids about uh, who is the head of the church and understanding the distinction that the head of the church is Jesus. We submit to Him as His body. Maybe talking to our kids at some point as well about the one church concept as Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about. But I do think that these three ideas are broad enough and they are foundational enough to give us a really good starting point for discussing what God wants kids and adults and people of every age to understand about the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And my prayer is for myself and for you as well, especially fellow moms and dads, that we will be looking for opportunities to do that in the Deuteronomy 6 kind of way. That when we sit down, when we rise up, when we lie down, when we're walking by the way, we'll be able to talk to our kids about spiritual things, specifically talking to them about the Lord's church. Now in just a moment, Josh is going to lead us in the song that's been chosen as a song of invitation. Number 102 in the supplement, the song, And Can It Be? We've talked so much this evening about Christ's church and about what we need to be looking for and those sorts of things, that's an important idea, but maybe we need to kind of back up a little bit. and We need to talk about the importance of actually being in the body of Christ. How does a person get in to Christ's body? Well, that all begins with obeying the gospel, hearing the good news of Jesus, believing with all of our heart, trusting Him as we talked about this morning. That trust needs to then issue itself in, in obedience, as we confess Him as Lord, as Son of God, as we repent and turn from sin and turn to the Lord, and then as we are buried with Him in the waters of baptism, that makes us a Christian, our sins are washed away, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and on top of all that, the Lord then adds us to His church. And when that happens, we are a part of the universal body of Christ, and then we can then make the decision to join ourselves to a local group of believers working and serving alongside them as we help each other to go to heaven. Can we help somebody tonight to take those initial steps in becoming a Christian? Can we help somebody tonight who is a Christian but you've not really been living like one? As we talked about the imperfections that exist in the local church, that's not a surprise. And if somebody were to come forward this evening and say, I'm struggling with some sin in my life, it wouldn't be a surprise at all. It's almost an expectation. We are humans, we are frail, and we do fall short. And it's in those moments that we need to come and seek the Lord for His forgiveness. Come to your brethren and ask for the prayers and the encouragement that God's family can provide. Whatever your need may be this evening, you simply need to come to the front and make that known. You can do that right now while we stand and while we sing.